Let the church say amen. Thank you that because he lives, we too may live, not only in this world, but in the world to come. In Jesus' name, amen. We are continuing in our topics of great themes of the Bible. And today, concentrating on another aspect of angel number three. Now, what do we mean by angel number three? Those of you who have been following along know that in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verses 6 to 12, there are three angels that are sent by God three angels that are carrying a special message. The first angel says that the hour, the second angel says Babylon, and the third angel said keep your, and these angels we have studied follow one another. In fact, if you turn with me now to the book of Revelation, we will augment our study in Revelation chapter 14, beginning at verse 6, the first angel. And then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. Verse 8, and another angel followed. And as we have discussed and described, this doesn't mean that the first angel stopped and turned around, but another angel joined. The second angel joined the first. And then in verse 9, then a third angel followed, which means that now all three of those angels are flying, giving the warnings that we have rehearsed. And we've learned, as we've studied along, that the first angel's message of judgment has to do with a certain time and a certain event and a certain going over the books, 1844, and all those prophecies that we have reviewed. The second angel's Babylon has fallen has to do with all of the spiritual confusion in the world. And the third angel's following is with the message that if anyone worships the beast, and we've identified the beast, all the beasts in the Bible, as being nations, and this particular beast, we found out by studying Revelation chapter 13, this particular beast is that power that rose up out of the sea to not only rule the world spiritually for 1260 years, but also to tamper with the law of God. And we've not only identified the beast, but we have identified the image to the beast, which is a federation of spiritual powers, Catholicism, Protestantism, 
Judaism, but particularly Catholicism and Protestantism, which will someday occur when our governments are so tired of what's happening. And, and you can see it today, can't you? Did you read about somebody running somewhere and shooting nine innocent people in a mall somewhere? You read about that? Did you read about another mall caving in on a bunch of folk? Did you read about all the people who got killed in accidents in Las Vegas this week? Have you been reading the papers? Do you see all of the wars that are going on around the world? One of these days, the governments of Earth will say, enough, let's all of us get together and pray. Let's all of us get together and pray so that God will deliver us from the drugs and the terrorism and the accidents and the, and the mass murders and the drive-bys and all the evil things that are happening in society. And that's why I, for one, am watching with great curiosity this political race that's going on with Mr. Romney and the preacher. What's his name? Huckabee. And, you know, we don't know and we're not prophets, but the stage is set for religious expression in America as an attempt to overcome the problems that are going on, not only in our world, but the rest of the world as well. Well, we reviewed that with some detail. So we know about the beast, we know about the image, but today I want us to focus on a third function or a third element of this third angel, and that is the mark. Look at Chapter 14, verse 9, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his M-A-R-K, what does that spell? Mark. His mark on his forehead or in his hand. He himself, verse 10, shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascends how long? And they have no rest how long? Who do what? And whosoever does what? Well, what is this mark? It must be a very, very terrible thing because the Bible says... This mark is going to result in whoever gets it. Well, and, and you know what a mark is, right? We know what a mark is. A mark is a sign. A mark is an identifiable, visible statement that qualifies you, that quantifies you, that identifies you. It's, it's something that, that is your, your statement of identity. When you, when you see that blimp going over, the Goodyear blimp, you know what it is because it has certain marks. It has a certain appearance. When you see that athletic swish on a shirt or a cap or a C or, or, or a suit, an athletic suit, you know it represents who? Nike. I thought you'd know that one. And uh, when you see the proud eagle, it represents what government? United States. United States, if it's stamped on something. And over and over again, we are a nation 
that is used to logos and marks. Well, John says, whoever receives this mark, the mark of the beast, that individual is in serious trouble. Serious trouble. That individual will, let's look at it again, down in verse 10, drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Now that's one drink I don't want. Drink of the wine of the wrath of God. It doesn't tell us what that wine is made of, but whatever it is, I don't want that. I don't want the wine of the anger of God. And then it goes on to say, which is poured out full strength. My, it's not only God's wrath, which is God's anger, but it's going to be poured out without mixture. It won't, it won't be thinned down at all. Not going to send it down. Yeah, he's going to give it straight to whoever has got that mark. And it goes on to say, he shall be, verse 10, tormented with fire and brimstone. And verse 11, the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. Now, of course, that expression brings up a lot of questions. Some people say, you mean to tell me that God is such a God that he's not only going to punish people, but forever and ever through eternity, he's going to have a big smokestack ascending up from this poor planet Earth? Well, we're going to talk about that too. Actually, there are ways that the Bible helps us to understand the meaning here, which is not literally an eternal smokestack, but we'll get to that in another talk. Right now, no matter how long it lasts, whether it's a day or a week or a year or whatever, you and I don't want to be in that number. Amen. We don't want to be drinking God's wrath poured out without mixture, and we don't want to be a part of whatever is going to make that smoke. So, it's important that we identify this mark which causes such terrible damnation. What is this mark? Well, the best way to find out about the mark is to remember that the mark of the beast or the mark of Rome or the mark of papal Rome is just the opposite from the sign of God. The beast has a mark, and God has a sign. And what is the sign of God? Well, we read it in our scripture. Young brother Gordon read it for us. But just in case you forgot or weren't listening very closely, let's read it again. And even if you did, I think it bears repeating. Over in Exodus chapter 20, let us read in Ezekiel, pardon me, Ezekiel chapter 20. Let me read with you verses 11 and 12. Ezekiel 20, 11 and 12. And I gave them my statues and showed them my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. Moreover, also I gave them my what? Sabbath. Now, notice that this Sabbath has a capital S. 
Very often, when the Bible is talking about Moses' Sabbath, God uses a small S. The Bible uses a small S because those are ordinary feast days that can come on any day in the year, like Christmas, that can come on any day in the week. But this capital S is reminding us that God has given us the Sabbaths that come all during the year, and he says that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. In verse 13, he goes on to describe how that the people rebelled and defiled his Sabbaths. But 12 says, moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be an S-I-G-N. And what does that spell? A sign. So God has a sign. And his sign is the Sabbath. And God is saying that my sign is my holy seventh day Sabbath that I've given you to observe. But do you know what? Everything that God gives good to the human race, the devil figures some way to destroy it. He'll either try to do away with it or he'll either try to make a substitute. And that's just what the devil has done with God's sign, which is the Sabbath. By causing and creating a substitute for God's sign, which is the Sabbath, the devil has established a mark through human beings, a mark through the creatures to whom God gave his sign, God says to his creatures, here's my sign, I want you to observe it. And the creatures to whom he gives the sign turn right around and say, wait a minute, we're not going to take that sign, we're going to establish our own mark, which is a substitute for the sign that God has given. God created the world in six days, Genesis 1 and 2. And he rested on the seventh day and he gave it to the human race as a sign of their allegiance to him. Amen. 2,000 years later on Sinai, he gave the Ten Commandments and he said, For I want you to rest and I want you to keep the seventh day Sabbath, for in it the Lord thy God made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in the midst. And we've explained before. That right there in the middle of the fourth commandment, God identifies himself clearly. And just as Mr. Bush has a stamp that he uses on documents which says George Bush, President, United States. That's his name, that's his office, that's his territory. So in the fourth commandment, which is God's sign and signature project, he puts his name, I, the Lord God, made, that's his title, a maker, heaven and earth and the sea and all that in the midst. That's the territory over which he rules. Yes. And it's the only commandment which identifies God. And it's God's own handwriting that he wrote, and he put it there as his sign. His sign of affiliation and covenanting with his people. And then when Jesus came 2,000 years after that, Jesus was crucified on Friday. He rose on the first day of the week, but he rested on the Sabbath day and made it 
not only a sign of creation when he made the worlds, and Colossians says all things were made by him, but he also made it a sign of redemption when he rested in the grave after he had been crucified. So it's clear as to how and why the Sabbath is God's sign. But then God warned us in the book of Daniel, and you might want to turn there to Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. God warned us that down through history, after Jesus had been dead, buried, resurrected, and gone back to heaven, there would arise a power or powers that would seek to change what God had done, to alter what he had established. And verse 25 of Daniel chapter 7 reads, And he, speaking of this power, shall speak pompous words, the new King James, against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High. And we've been through that already with this third angel and the 1260 years of persecution. You remember that. And he shall intend to change times and law. And the old King James says, shall think to change times and laws. So, long time ago, way back in the book of Daniel, way back 600 years before Christ came, way back 2,000 years before you and I came upon the scene of action, 2,000 years and more, God predicted that there would be a power that would seek to change that which he had done, and that is precisely how the mark came to be. Now, I gave to you a couple of Sabbaths ago several of these, or one of these, I had several hundred, and I'm going to see that if you left yours at home, you get it now, because this is how we're going to amplify what we've said so far. So if you left yours at home, it's okay, raise your hand, get another one, but if you brought it, read what you have. But these, we're going to see to it that you get if you don't have it, because you have to have this in order to understand this part of the prophecy. We're talking now about the mark of the beast, the mark which contradicts the sign. And I'd appreciate it if you just hold your hand if you don't have one, because you're going to need this. And if you left yours at home, it's all right, because I think we have enough to go around. What we have established then, is that the mark is separate from the sign. The mark is in contradistinction to the sign. The mark is a substitute for the sign, and that after the Bible was finished, after Jesus was dead, buried, resurrected, and gone back to heaven, then some people decided to tamper with his sign and change his sign from a sign of creation and redemption into the mark of their own power and authority. So look at the page or the side of your handout that reads the law of God. You have that? And on the left-hand side, you see the law of God as written in the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus, chapter 20, 3 to 17. In the middle, you will see how the commandments 
The Ten Commandments of God can be located in the New Testament. And the printer didn't work well for commandment number one, but you write up in that space under one in the middle, Matthew 22:37. That's the place where you find commandment number one in the New Testament. But on the extreme right-hand side, you see the Ten Commandments as constructed by the Roman Catholic Church. Now, if there are Roman Catholics here today, we love you. You didn't do this. All right? You didn't do this. This is nothing you did. We're talking about a system that prophecy is identifying and which fulfills something very important that Daniel and John bring to light. So, on this side, and we don't have time to read them all the way, but you will notice that commandment number two in the Catholic version has been removed altogether. The one that says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That is altogether out. Or rather, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. I'm sorry. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. That is removed altogether. Commandment number two. And in order to make up for the deletion of number two, number 10, which says thou shalt not covet, has been made into two commandments, nine and 10. So one has been taken out and 10 has been made into two. I'll say that again. One commandment, which is commandment number two, thou shalt not have before thee graven images, has been removed. And commandment number two, thou shalt not covet, is split so we can make it into two to keep ten in the lineup. Now, when you ask the church, turn on the other side, and when you ask the church, now who gave you the power to do this? Who gave you the power to remove number two, to make number ten into two, and then more than that, or as bad as that, to reduce number four into a one-line statement. And let's turn back over to the law, and let me not go with this too rapidly, but let's turn back to the law of God on the other side. Notice what it says. Commandment number two now says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And commandment number three, and that used to be commandment number three with God's commandments on the left, as originally written, but now commandment number four is made commandment number three. And all it says is, remember that thou keep holy the what? Now don't forget over here the way God wrote it. He says, for in six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. And the seventh day he identifies as the Sabbath Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work for the Lord thy God. All that's in the fourth commandment as God wrote it. But look at what the church did. The church changed it to read one short line. Remember that thou keep holy the Sabbath day. Doesn't say what day is the Sabbath day. Doesn't say who did it. Doesn't say why. No instruction, nothing. Just remember that thou keep holy the Sabbath day. So the question is asked of the church. Where'd you get that authority? Who gave you the power to act like that? And we're going to read back on the side that says his name, number, and mark, under the column that says his mark on the extreme right-hand side, 
Notice after the verses of Romans and Ecclesiastes and so forth, the question there is asked. How prove you? Well, let's read the paragraph before that. The observance of Sunday by the Protestants is an homage they pay in spite of themselves to the authority of the what? Now, I've said this before and I want to say it again. If I were not a Seventh-day Adventist, I would join the Catholic Church. Have to. Because if the Catholic Church is powerful enough to say what God said has been changed into something else, if God gave them that much authority, they must be his people. If God gave them all that power to go in and change the commandments, then they must be his people. So what are we doing here? We might as well, I, I, I'd have to give them credit. But let's read on. Question, and that's from Plain Talk to Protestants, one of the famous Catholic uh, publications. But let's look at the question. Question, let's all read it together. How prove you that the church hath power to command feasts and holy days? And the answer is this, I'll read it. By the very act of changing the Sabbath into Sunday, which Protestants allow of, and therefore they fondly contradict themselves by keeping Sunday strictly and breaking most other feasts commanded by the same church. So when you ask the Catholic powers, as quoted in the Douay Catechism, where'd you get your power? I mean, who, who, how do you prove that you're the true church, that you can do? Well, we did it and look at what the people are doing. They're following us. Let's read the next question. How together... How prove you that? Answer, because by keeping Sunday, they acknowledge the church's power to ordain feasts and to command them under sin. Next question. If the Bible is the only guide, and this is what the church is asking now, the church to change the commandments. If the Bible is the only guide for the Christian, then the Seventh-day Adventist is right in observing Saturday with the Jew. Did you hear that? This comes from the people who made the change. They say, look, if the Bible is the only guide, and what they're saying is the Bible is not the only guide. God has given to us, the Pope and the bishops and the church and the power. We have power to change. The Bible isn't the only guy. If the Bible is the only guy for the Christian, then the Seventh-day Adventist is right in observing the Saturday with the Jew. Is it not strange that those who make the Bible their only teacher should inconsistently follow in this matter the tradition of the Catholic Church? Good question, right? Good question. And that's from Question Box, edition 1915, page 179. But the next two are the ones I'm trying to get to. The Catholic Church, for over 1,000 years before the existence of a prophet, of a Protestant, and I told you back there in the Dark Ages, by virtue of her divine mission, changed the day from Saturday to Sunday. Folk, that's historical. It's dated. It's factual. It can't be argued with. And when people go to the Bible and use all these other excuses about he rose on Sunday and and Paul met with somebody in a church on Sunday and, and all Moses' laws had done away and the Sabbath was in Moses' laws and we're not under law but we're under grace. 
And what are some of the others? Well, you know it. Those are just unfortunate attempts to use what the Bible doesn't say to prove what God didn't do. And the final quote here, of course, let's all read this together. Of course, the Catholic Church claims that the change was her act. And the act is a, uh-oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. And the act is a what? You're not scared to say it, are you? The act is a what? A mark of her ecclesiastical authority in religious things. Ladies and gentlemen, again, if you happen to be a congregant in a Catholic church, if you are, you didn't do it. But the fact is, we have to tell the truth. Amen. The fact is, the first day change came about from three to five hundred years after Jesus was gone back. There's no change in all the Bible. The change was made by the church, and the church declares we have the power to make it, so therefore we made it, and the fact that we made it and you are doing it means that we must be right, and that is the mark of our authority. You follow? How many folk understand? I see hands. Don't want to run off and leave you now. All right. Well, I've got something else to say, but first of all, I want to pray. This is serious. This is sober. Some of you are hearing it for the first time, and I'm trying to present it in love and understanding and slowly, but I hope that you get it, and I hope the Lord convicts you, and I hope you too become a Sabbath keeper because it's right. And even if your mama and your daddy and your grandparents were Sunday keepers, they will be saved in the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something before I pray. Then I'm going to go to another section of this. They will be saved in the kingdom of God. My ancestors who didn't know what we're talking about, who didn't realize what happened, when the gates of glory open, they're going to walk in. They will be saved in the kingdom of God because they kept Sunday the best they knew how. It was all they knew. So God is going to bless them and he's going to save them. But I thank God for the truth. How about you? And the truth shall set you and I want God to help me to be free to serve Jesus and to understand and to know. So if it's a shock to you, it's only because God wants you to hear it and he wants you to accept it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have preached straight gospel here. And I pray that to the individuals who may be listening on the radio or who are here who may not know, who have heard this, that it shall be received and loved. And if not fully understood, they will continue to study. But where conviction has set in, that they may follow that conviction to full surrender and obedience and learn joyfully to keep your holy Sabbath day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, now that's the first half.